Welcome to It's All Connected, a Marvel Studios podcast brought to you by MCUExchange.com. All connected. Everything. For anybody that's been following our podcasting careers, in in air quotes, uh, for a number of years, it would be a huge disappointment if I didn't address Jason Statham at this point. Agreed. Yeah. Um, So we're going to do that, even though it's like a non-rumor or whatever. Let me just go on the record as saying there is no better bullseye available than Jason Statham, <laughs> whether, <laughs> whether, whether you like him or not, or like his movies or not, there is no better bullseye available than Jason Statham. Uh, would you agree? I of would Of course agree. you would. I would agree. <laughs> no, you don't have to agree. I, I apologize. <laughs> I mean, I like Colin Farrell. I thought he was fine, but... Uh, I, I don't think that's the way they you know are going to play it in season two. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. So you know this rumor pops up that he's in serious talks, and then something's just something's just not adding up because the day after the rumor, he's bashing Marvel movies for green screening and having giant budgets and nobody does their own stunts and coming off like a big jerk. So something's off because you just don't do that, I don't think, like unless there was some kind of terrible negotiations that went south and we kind of got the information at a slower rate than it was happening. Yeah, I I don't buy the whole he dropped out because uh, the Internet got rumors that he was in you know what i'm saying like that that didn't ring true to me at all yeah no that was uh, i forget who wrote that story i guess that was their theory or yeah so i was very happy for 12 hours and and then very sad for the next 12 and now everybody's like oh you see he's a jerk anyway because the marvel fanboys that you can't you know you can't say anything negative about anything marvel which you know i get it whatever but now they're like oh you see he's a jerk and i don't want to date him I want him to be bullseye. Exactly. I don't care yeah. if he's a jerk. Yeah. Well, and part of it too is, I think it's just a, a trend, a bad trend in general is people can't say anything anymore because there's 15 people with a microphone, there's Twitter, there's Facebook, there's, I mean, and you know, we propagate different rumors and stuff like that. And I think I, I try and stay away from the sensational because I just I, I I just don't that's just not my thing, you know, for people personally. But I, I think it's to the point anymore where when somebody says anything, it's like extremely scrutinized, and you don't know what circumstances. Most of the time, you don't know what the circumstances were when where that quote was was given. Right? I mean, had the guy not slept in a week? You know, is he just doing nonstop press stuff? Was it? You know, was he kind of ambushed? Was you know, he be, he given a line of questioning beforehand that agitated him and just caused him to just, you know, say what he's saying. Was it, you know, said with humor and that just didn't come across in a, you know, in a print interview. 
it, it's just it's like anything. I mean, we've seen it. You know, we did we didn't comment on it at the time, and I don't I don't, I don't want to go into it now. But you know, with the Chris Evans and and um, Jeremy Renner interview, and you know, they 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 kind of had a big gaff, and everybody went berserko, and you know, just other things that happen. And I'm not defending or not anything anybody said. It's just the point of. You know, everybody's under a spotlight. Everybody's under scrutiny twenty four seven, and it just—I I think people in general need to just kind of chill out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And this is—it's all connected, and we chill out a lot of bit. Yes. And uh, it's episode sixty six, which is almost the number of the beast, the de- the <laughs> devil, which is why this is a daredevil episode. We're um, one six short. Yes. Well. We're several months late as well, but uh, this is John, and uh, this is Russ. Hello. And that was kind of news, and I know, Russ, maybe you want to talk a little bit about the MCU Minute. Is that the official title? Yeah. I'll let you do this. Yeah, so this is something we've been kind of toying around with for a while, and um, all it is is just... um, you know, just being that I'm at home, I can usually crank out, uh, you know, during a lunch break or something or just immediately after work, you know, just news of the day. So it's it's literally like a minute, you know, 90 seconds long. It's it's not any commentary or opinion, you know, for the most part. It's it's just pretty much news. And every so often I'll try and sprinkle in some kind of cool fact, you know, something released on a particular day or box office numbers and, and things like that. Um, I'm going to try and do them mostly daily. And I say mostly daily uh, because some days there's just probably not going to be any news, you know, nothing, nothing going on or nothing worthy of note. Um, and just as we got geared up on it, I will be on vacation next week. So um, so there will be no no news minutes next week, but the week after uh, there, there should be some. So uh, pay attention that uh, this is something we're only putting on the It's All Connected feed. I'm not putting this on the master feed. Uh, I don't want to you know spam it out because it's, it's going to go out every day. But again, you know, even with the intro and the outro, they're typically less than two minutes long. Uh, just something if you're, you know, if you're not by your computer all day and just have your uh, podcasting device or your iTunes or whatever, and just kind of, you know, just a little sprinkle of what's been going on uh, in the Marvel universe that day. Yeah. And they sound great and they've been uh, informative and it was a good week to start. I think we got some cool stuff that, uh, that maybe we can keep touching on now, like uh, the big Punisher news. Yes. John Bernthal. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I I like it, and I'm, I'm actually ashamed that I didn't think of him when I was going through possible Punisher candidates in my head because anybody that is a fan of The Walking Dead show and knows the seasons, you know, that he was a part of, uh, he has the intensity. Yes. And I think it's going to work out really well. Um, if you remember, if anybody... Again, if you've been listening to us for a long time, perhaps you've heard the Walking Dead TV podcast that I was a part of way back when. Uh, Russ is still a part of that show. We talked about John Bernthal stealing that show for a little while. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, season one, two-ish. And I think I, I think it fits. I, I think it's great. And it, even the fan art that's coming out is spectacular. And I'm always in awe of the people's talent that's out there. <laughs> yeah, to put out these fan-made posters that that look legit, and uh, I'm I'm all for it. He kind of remind like this is gonna sound a little weird, but uh, he reminds me like of a huskier, younger Frank Grillo. 
Oh, absolutely. You yeah, I could, I could see that. And I think we we even I think before Winter Soldier even we talked about maybe Frank Grillo making a decent Punisher, and I'm I'm sure that that was bandied about at the time. So, and we should mention after our last show and all that talk about Charlize Theron's age. Uh, Frank Grillo also turned 50 this past week. So, yeah. Age is just a number. Exactly. I am uh I have been probably I've been more guilty of it I think than you, John. You've been a lot more open to it. And I it's not that and I think people may have misinterpreted it as me not wanting it uh or not wanting older actors or actresses to play. My only concern is just will they commit to a long-term contract? Um but you know, I, I am I am all for the best person for the role, uh, regardless of of age. Uh, but I also just don't want to see somebody, you know, do do a one shot on a on a starring role and then just get recast because then it just kind of takes some of the some of the thunder away. Right. Very good. Anything else on those news minutes that we might want to? No, I mean just you know the Spider Man stuff is still in flux. You know they're they're they got it narrowed down to a couple folks. Uh, I think I think we'll probably that'll that'll definitely be news minute worthy coming up. I think the the decision will be made and finalized here pretty quick, is my guess. Uh, maybe some Doctor Strange casting, or, or we I think we knew the actor was cast, but we didn't know the role exactly. Yeah, and it's still I guess it isn't solidified, but Twitel Ijafor has been cast, and they're pretty much convinced it's Baron Mordo, which I think is awesome. Uh, and uh, I think we're just waiting on. You know, Marvel has confirmed nothing. So, uh, you know, but most of since the the rumors are or the the reports are so widespread at this point, I think it's pretty much a done deal. It's just a matter of uh, of casting, and I mean that'll be the next one after Captain America or after Civil War. So we'll get Civil War in uh, in May, and then in November we'll get uh, Doctor Strange. So I would imagine that uh, things will be gearing up on that pretty quick. I would imagine they'll have to go under the lens probably. Uh, August, September, you know, just to, to get everything ready. Now, is that character, uh, you know, another sorcerer, basically? Yes. yes. Do you fear that Marvel kind of falls into this trap? Maybe the trap's not a good word, but I couldn't think of another word. In other words, you have Iron Man versus Iron Monger. Yeah. You have uh, Doctor Strange versus Mortar, who's another uh, sorcerer. You have Ant-Man versus Yellowjacket. You know, it's kind of like just the opposite, uh, same tech, same powers for a villain. I think, I think what I'm trying to say is Marvel has sort of gotten some heat for the lack of... Uh, Originality. You know, uh, originality in their villains and, and how the villains are not really strong enough characters. I mean, just having Doctor Strange against an evil sorcerer doesn't sound, like, awesome to me. But, again, it's, like, years before the movie even comes out. I'm sure it'll be great. But just, you know, I think it's one of the reasons why Guardians of the Galaxy was so fun and fresh and different. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things you can, despite what you think about Iron Man 3, that was one of the things that made it somewhat original, right? Is that it wasn't, he wasn't up against another armor-powered individual or another uh, repulsor-tech-powered individual. You know, in Iron Man 1, it was the monger, and 2, it was Whiplash, who, you know, had was powered similarly and then, of course, created all those drones and everything else. 
Uh, and then, I mean, even I guess you could stretch it to some degree with Captain America, the first Avenger, that, that the Red Skull was, you know, took the same, you know, formula. The, you know, the purpose was the same. I mean, the Red Skull just, uh, the, the process wasn't perfected and, and wasn't uh, as successful. Right, and, and Winter Soldier even, you know, sure. Bucky is pretty much... You cap know, with a metal arm. cap for yeah, for yeah. that for lack of a better term. And the movies are all great, but the you know the villains are just sort of analogs of the heroes, or you know negative versions, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, maybe it's a response a little bit to. I mean, not that I need. I don't want to turn this into a Marvel DC thing because this isn't a bash by any stretch. But you know, for a while, the Batman movies, the villains way overshadowed, in my opinion, the heroes. I mean, you know, it was always about who was cast as the villain. Uh, in the movie, even going back to Superman, the movie. I mean, Gene Hackman was a way, way more you know well-known actor than, than Christopher Reeve was at the time. So, uh, and then you know Nicholson, and you know on and on and on. So, you know, maybe maybe this is their way to kind of you know flip it around a little bit and just kind of kind of take it down a bit. Sure. But yeah, I do, I totally see what you're saying. Uh, but and word is too that Mordo may be an amalgam of several different characters, just kind of like whiplash was as well like you know that that character was was an amalgam of uh of two of two different characters right so we'll see but i like Troy elijah four um he's done genre stuff before if you've seen serenity he was like the bad bounty hunter dude in serenity uh, so he's got some sci-fi chops very cool all right so we are going to talk about some daredevil villains uh interestingly enough that was yeah. a segue it was all a giant segue perfectly constructed segue yes so i, I think we're gonna I, I think we'll commit to kingpin and see how long that goes and yeah we may also do uh wesley yeah and did you have another one i think you said another vanessa one. you know i think vanessa the sure. three of those were kind of pretty well intertwined but i but yeah like you said we may Depending on how much we have to say about Wilson Fisk, uh, the Kingpin, you know that may be the the stopping point. I, I guess we could say that, and we talked about this before, but the the format for these is episode by episode is just kind of a it's kind of droll, and there's no way you can talk about one episode in a vacuum without bleeding over into other episodes. And then you know, what ends up happening is you talk about an episode you spoil five other episodes and then when you get to those episodes you're either saying the same thing over again or you have nothing to say because you pretty much said it all in the other ones so uh you know we thought we'd talk about like characters and situations and things like that and focus on those to get kind of an, a better picture um and then you know maybe down the road like we said commentaries you know if there's if there's episodes we talk want to talk specifically about uh we we'd probably do some kind of commentary situation to to handle those so sounds good I wish Brad. So starting off with Kingpin, I wish Brad could have could have joined us tonight because I know he had a lot of opinions on uh, on D'Onofrio's Kingpin. I know you know just the email threads and stuff like that, and even I think uh, you know when we talked in the past of the show, he's he's kind of alluded to it, but not gone into specifics. Um, so I'm curious. I'm curious. I'll let you start. I'm curious just to to just kind of overall impressions of what you thought with that character and the portrayal and the casting and and everything. Uh, well. I, when originally it had been announced that uh, Vincent D'Onofrio would would be the kingpin, I was uh, happy because I know that he's a you know a quality actor. Obviously, uh, I was a little skeptical as to 
the look, um, you know, the physicality. Uh, Kingpin, Kingpin, I think, was originally drawn as like a huge blobby fat guy, and it, it, it kind of morphed into, yeah, I mean, he's still big and like overweight, but he, it morphed into like more of a monster, and that's why I loved Michael Clark Duncan as Kingpin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just that bigger than life physicality and you know he's reserved and he's very uh well kempt and he's all into you know where his dinner fork is and all of that and his ascot but he can crush your skull right. when he needs to so i was i was concerned that i wouldn't buy that from Vincent D'Onofrio which i totally did i th- i thought the look was perfect um, he's a bigger man than I realized he was. I guess I hadn't seen anything with him recently. And I guess over time he's put on some weight or maybe he did some lifting and, and weight gain and stuff for this role as well. Maybe a little both. I know when he did Law & Order Criminal Intent, he started to get a little bulkier, um, a little bigger, I, I'll say, you know, as the seasons went on on that show. You know, especially when you compare him to like Men in Black or Full Metal. He was very young with Full Metal Jacket, but you know, you go back that far. I mean, he he wasn't. I mean, they you know they he was overweight for military uh, purposes sure. in Full Metal Jacket, but he was not like a you know a, a big guy. I would say. Right. Yeah. I mean, now he certainly is, and yeah. uh, so the the look worked really well for me, and I thought. I thought Vincent D'Onofrio nailed what they wanted from the Kingpin. Yeah. It probably wouldn't have been my first choice. Uh, I think you, Russ, once said he almost comes off as, like, possibly autistic at times. Yeah. Or, you know, and it's probably not the perfect word, but there is definitely, like, you know, there's a disturbed person in 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 Wilson Fisk and I think you know Vincent D'Onofrio nailed that but again like my choice would be more how he ended up um in this series and I was very happy with how he ended up you know at the end of the of the uh 13 episodes but probably not my first choice for how he was through most of it with just being that a little bit unsure of himself and very, I get that, you know, he's supposed to love Vanessa that much that he's uncomfortable around her. Um, but I thought he was a little too uncomfortable around like all people. Yeah. But I've gone on and on. So did you feel any of that stuff or? Yeah, I, I really like you. I think part of it is you just have to get over the fact that, this is the approach they decided to take for Wilson Fisk. And much like you, given that that's the approach they wanted, I think he nailed it. I mean, I think he did a really good job of playing that kind of unhinged, you know, he, almost like he kind of had some ticks, you know, just the way he moved his head and his hands. Um, and then, you know, at times, uh, you know, he would just go completely off the rails, you know, like something would make him mad and he would just, you know, just start pounding, you know, you know, one of the first interactions we get with him, he takes, you know, one of the Russian brothers and shoves his head in a car door and slams it till he literally, you know, takes his head off. Um, 
And then he just, you know, hit one of when he finds out that Wesley is killed, he, uh, you know, he punches that guy mercilessly. He beats on Matt, you know, again, same way, you know, we get that great shot of him, you know, from down low where he's got both fists overhead and just pounding down, which to me, that's a very kingpin thing, you know, just the, the double fist kind of thing. Yeah. And then, of, of course, at, you know, when he kills Ben Urich, same thing, like he just goes berserk. And I think... Like I said, I think he did a good job with that, but I just never envisioned that as the kingpin. I always envisioned him as probably businessman first and um, murdering psychopath second. Uh, right. But but a lot more, I think, calm and cool and collected, a lot more with it. Um, yeah, I think more sure of himself as the yeah. businessman. Yeah. Um, it's, it's probably and, and those, like, berserk moments, I just thought they were probably, like too few and far between for like the first i'm guessing now first eight or nine episodes and then it became like a regular thing from 10 through 13 yeah so maybe just a little bit heavy on the on the one end um and not a spread out but uh, i mean otherwise overall I'm, I'm happy with it and again if 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 daredevil ends up running four or five seasons and we realize that was just you know kingpin year one and now in subsequent seasons, he's what we thought he would be. You know, I'd be totally fine with this. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it's, yeah, it's just kind of, like I said, it just, and it's a little uneven. There's sometimes, like when he's in the in the car and he picks up the radio and he's talking to Matt, who's inside the building with, uh, with Sergey, and they kind of have that conversation back and forth with each other. See, to me, that was like classic Kingpin. That was like, okay, this is the Kingpin I know. He's... He's very, at that point, very confident, very sure of himself, you know, very much, uh, you know, kind of telling Matt how it is. And I just, I love that interaction. I loved, uh, one of the things I, d I did like about how they portrayed the Daredevil um, Kingpin relationship was, like, the first interaction they had was, you know, this verbal conversation between the two. Like, they weren't even in the same room, so they're, you know, going back and forth across the walkie-talkie. Then they kind of meet face to face, Matt and Wilson. Where you know, obviously Matt knows who who Fisk is, and and Fisk doesn't know that that Matt is is Daredevil. So that was you know kind of a different interaction. Then they get you know when when they get Nobu to kind of jump them, and then the Kingpin comes out and beats him. You know that again, it's it's you know something else. And then of course the fight at the you know at the end. So. I liked how they kind of metered out these interactions between the two of them and didn't just jump right into, oh, you know, he figures everything out and they have this big fight and he gets, you know, his, his ass handed to him and he's got to go away and then come back. You know, I'm glad the confrontations happen closer to each other at the end of the season, I guess is what I'm saying, than have it be at the beginning, have him lose, and then we have to wait the whole season for him to kind of build himself back up again to face him again. Um it, it, it wasn't really about that. It, it wasn't so much about the physical confrontation between the two of them. It was more um, kind of the cat and mouse game is, I guess, what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I really enjoyed the buildup as well. And I, I like the angle that they went with that the kingpin, you know, the, the best villains think they're doing the right thing. Yes. And, and he they went with the angle of... Matt and Wilson are both trying to do what's best for the city. 
um, which I thought was an interesting way to do it. And, and I'm sure it's been done before. I'm pretty sure in the more recent uh, Daredevil comics, that's that's where they've gone also. But, you know, originally it wasn't. You know, originally the kingpin was the kingpin of crime, and he was right. just interested in running drugs and guns and, and whatever else. Um, and now they've sort of put the moral compass into it. Um, you know, it's, it's more, it's more gray area now, I think. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny because I get a real, I I noticed it more and and maybe part of it is I just, I just rewatched the wire recently. So they, they, you know, HBO put out, um, a high definition version of the wire. They kind of remastered it, reframed everything and all that. And I, I'd watch the wire. I, I basically caught up previously for season four and then watched season four and season five live. But that was, I think that show ended in 2007, I think. So it's, you know, it's been about eight years since I, I did a rewatch on it. And I, I see a lot of similarities, you know, the whole real estate angle where they're taking, you know, depressed property and, you know, at this point, either leveling it or, you know, or, you know, they're taking all the dirty money that they've had to work for in order to put it to legitimate enterprise, which is, you know, real estate and development to bring in new money. Um, and that's kind of, you know, I guess a little bit of spoiler for the wire here, but, you know, Stringer and, uh, and Avon kind of, you know, that was their deal is to, you know, Stringer was more the businessman guy. And then Avon, you know, kind of had the, had the street smart to kind of get them where they needed to be. And I, I just see a lot of parallels and just the way it's shot, you know, it's, it's a lot more, again, street level gritty. There's a lot of focus on uh, the area. You know, you get a lot of shots, exterior shots of, you know, buildings and, you know, they'll, they'll do long shots where people are meeting up, you know, what looks like on, on, you know, on a bridge or on the water and stuff like that. And I just, it just parallels the wire a lot to me. Yeah, it, it really does. And then when, you know, when you think about, again, Stringer and Avon thinking they were doing what was best for Baltimore. Um, you know, they didn't want the rich people building whatever in their city. They right. wanted, you know, they wanted control of it and, and running it from, you know, the inside, the people that live there running it. Um, there are definitely similarities. I wish Daredevil was an HBO show. <laughs> Not, I mean, Netflix did a great job, but I'd love that. Uh, I'd love our a real R yeah rather than this I, I what do you call this PG 15 or 15 plus or something yeah like that. yeah little little yeah not quite R but but a little more than PG 13 I think for sure yeah um, it's funny you even had you know, uh, Bill Fisk played uh, the guy that uh, the uh, Dominic Lombardozzi who played yep. Herc Herc yep on the wire was uh, was Bill Fisk who is uh, Wilson's dad so I thought that was that was kind of cool too but yeah, it was just I I, I like I said I, I it's not the the take I would I would choose. But again, it's it like a lot of things like you you know you you just kind of got to get over that and just and just say okay this is the performance that they're wanting to show how how was this done, um and and I I think like like we said it was done really good um the the part with him and they did this a couple times in one of the episodes where. Uh, episode eight where he he wakes up and he has the kimono on and he's like making an omelet and like his kitchen yeah. is like pristine and he's cutting up the chives and he's 
you know, he makes his omelet and he spreads like everything's just like perfect. And I was like, that's a very Kingpin thing to do. Like, I, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen that in the comic, but I imagine like if the Kingpin made himself breakfast, that's exactly how the Kingpin would make himself breakfast. <laughs> yes. And that was a great, um, that was a great scene where it happened again, but now Vanessa stayed over. Yes. And it just sort of like showed that things are cha- things are going to change now. Like she's in his ear. She's in his life. You know, he's going to be doing things differently now. I thought, I thought that was great. And, yeah. um, you know, maybe we'll save more Vanessa for after, but I also, since we talked about Bill Fisk a little bit, I thought the those flashbacks, you know, that was intense and really good stuff. And again, you know, it, it's painting him as a sympathetic character. You know, he's not the straight... I mean, he is the straight bad guy, but they're going to make sure that you at least feel for the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, There's like, it's like they're they're trying to... You know, they give a reason for why... He is the way he is. I mean, he basically came from an abused environment. I mean, his father was a drunk and, you know, and beat his mother and, you know, tried to be a big shot and wasn't and kind of tried to take his shot at politics and failed and, you know, got in, got in with some money. Um, and, and it, and again, you kind of see the origins of him snapping like we do, you know, later on when he, you know, he kind of freaks out on people. So it was a nice little, uh, yeah, I mean that's that's one of the benefits of of doing a thirteen episode, you know, Netflix series as opposed to a Daredevil movie is you can have these moments. Like this isn't something. If you tried to do this in in a movie, it's it's just like too much. You know, you're derailing the movie to to go too much into backstory. Um, and so it's really nice to be able to just say, you know, what? we're going to take an episode and a big chunk of it is going to be dedicated to how the Kingpin became the Kingpin. Um, right. But my favorite. My favorite line from that is after he knocks his old man in the head with, with the hammer, and you know the mother's like, you know, it's okay, it's not, it's not your fault, and she's like, just deadpan. She looks at him and says, "Go get the saw." Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, his mother definitely was not all there either. Uh, no, no, yeah. but just just completely deadpan. Go get the saw. I was like, wow, that was like some some Goodfellas level stuff right there. <laughs> yeah. And I mean the whole thing with the painting that he's so into in the gallery, and then you yeah. realize it looks like the wall that he stares at to space out. Yeah, you know, and there's one just like that in his cell at the yep. end. I mean, that was just that's like genius stuff. Yeah, and the fact that again, when Matt comes in, she directs him towards a painting that is more or less like that, except it's red. Um, and and especially after he tells Claire that the way he sees it looks like the world's on fire and so she directs him to this red painting that kind of has this red orangey kind of uh you know gradations in it and stuff like that so that was kind of cool but yeah it's uh it, it, it's interesting because you know he ends you know ultimately in the end his down you know he he was kind of taken down in a series of steps you know he he was content with staying completely behind the scenes you know, they make a point like he doesn't even show up until the the third episode. Like the first two episodes, he's not even there, and then he shows up at the end of the third episode, and then from that point on, he's you know, he's a he's a significant portion of the show. But they kind of they 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 don't it it kind of matches how they portrayed him in the show, where you know he was content to just stay behind the scenes and just operate this criminal empire along with this 
um, you know, conglomerate where he kind of had Wesley as his proxy to work with Gao and uh, Dogen and um, and Owlsley and and the and the Russians to handle all this. And it wasn't until Karen broke the story to Ben Urich that he had to kind of take a more active role to kind of squelch stuff down. And then as things kind of escalated, he had to get more and more involved. And then, you know, his relationship with Vanessa kind of changed things again. And, and even Gao, you know, goes to him in that scene where they're, where they're on that root, that, that rooftop that uh, has like a garden on the top of it. And they're sitting on the bench and you know, she basically tells him like, you know, you're, you're trying to basically live in two worlds. You know, you're trying to, you know, think with your head and be a businessman, but you're also thinking with your heart, you know, because you, you finally found someone that kind of gets you. Yeah. Which, which ultimately kind of leads him to be more exposed and more vulnerable, um, you know, and then, and then ultimately get, get taken down. Um, Do you, did you feel a hundred percent that you, that you got her motive? Not at, not at first. Okay. And what 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 did you come to then when you say not at first? Then what did you come to afterwards? I, I was a little unsure. It it seemed so on the first viewing through. It seemed uneven. Like why would this person be with this man, especially when she sees the the horrible things he does and he tells her about the horrible things that that he's going to do and has done. But on the second view through, so, you know, A, when we first watched this, I binge watched the hell out of it. I mean, we watched, you know, the first 13 episodes in 48 hours or less. So going back through it again, I was I watched it specifically, you know, knowing we we're going to talk about these characters for the show to kind of pick out those moments and focus on them a little bit. And you got hints that so she owns her own gallery. You could tell it's very high end. You know, you're not going there to to, you know, put a painting on your living room wall um, in your, you know, three bedroom ranch style, you know, th these are high end people that are coming in looking at this stuff. She, she kind of has that high society feel. And then when, when you really pay attention to what she's saying to Wilson, when they're having dinner, she's used to, and then even when they first meet and she talks about how, you know, different men have tried to pick her up and this and that. Um, she even talks about, it's all powerful men that she's been with or princes or people, you know, in high and at the higher echelon. And to me, I just got the impression more that, okay, she is all about being with a man, a powerful man and not powerful in the sense of just flat out influence, like, you know, uh, rich and, and famous, you know, powerful, but both physically and, um, and mentally, you know, just powerful, you know, people. And so I think she sees that in Wilson as, as somebody that, um, almost like she, she gets turned on by the fact that he is as powerful as he is, that basically he has this city in his hand. Um, and he's literally gonna, gonna blow it up as, you know, again, the whole, you know, show of power, he's, he's burning the thing down so he can build it back up. And once he's done, he's going to be this magnate of, of this, you know, rebuilt city. And I think she just sees that as, as as genuine and you know somebody she could latch on to because it kind of fulfills her fantasy of of what a man should be right I, sometimes i get the feeling though that she's looking to be the string puller you know again i didn't i didn't rewatch um as you did which was a smart move uh but you know it's some the first time through i, I kind of felt like she was going to be 
manipulating him to getting things run, you know, in some instances the way she would want. You know, I don't I don't know. And I, I think it changed a little bit, if I remember, when, like, the doo-doo hits the fan and now he's making sure that she's set up and safe. And, you know, that felt a little more... It all felt a little more um, authentic, you know, their feelings for each other at, at that point. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Yeah, that's for sure. But, yeah, she just... She turned out to be a lot more... In, like I said, a lot more interesting character on the second, on the second go-round. Um, yeah. It's funny, she even makes a mention of a French prince that she, or a prince that she was, you know, seeing at the time, um, and mentioned that he, you know, I forget what exactly she said, but she said, um, you know, that he spoke in a certain way and wore an ascot, and uh, and uh, Kingpin tells her, oh, an ascot, that seems like it, it's a bit much, and I, I thought right. that was, that was a funny, because right. of course in the comics, the Kingpin wears an ascot with his... Uh, white suit and his his cane that he carries around and purple pants in purple pants yes but yeah I mean and and they kind of put her in in danger obviously which throws him completely off balance the only thing I'll say is I thought that maybe went on it was only an episode and a half but it felt like it went on too long like him him being at her side and not leaving and 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 part of it I realized they needed to have that happen so that Wesley could go off and do what he did and you know and it kind of caused events to happen the the way they did but it just seemed like it was it was a little like I I just felt myself kind of getting a little bored with that yeah and and again it was I think it was subtle, the relationship at first, and then maybe it got heavy-handed right at the end, like what you're talking about. In other words, like, you know, it was almost like on again, off again. Does she really give a crap about him? Then all of a sudden, they're inseparable. Yeah. You know, like, it seemed like they were, like, time skips, or they just left some of that stuff out. You know, and they never, like... um if uh, unless I'm forgetting, you know, they never like have a big kiss or like an embrace or, you know, there's yeah, nothing no, leading absolutely. up to the part at the end where all of a sudden it's like, that's it. They're inseparable. You know, there wasn't much leading up to that, that, that would lead you to believe that it was already there. Yeah. And I don't know if that was done on purpose just to show that he is really that. Un- I mean, I think some of that happened off, you know, off panel, so to speak. But I think it helped with the illusion that he is just that awkward around, like he doesn't know how to handle intimate relationships. Like he doesn't know how to handle, you know, a woman that actually cares for him and wants to be with him for who he is. And so I think maybe they were afraid it would just come off as a little disingenuine or a little goofy if if they, you know, kind of shared a love scene together or whatever. Did they even, I'm trying to remember, did they even like, have a bedroom scene like yeah. him waking up next to her yeah. or anything like that. Okay. The, All right. For the omelet thing. Like she, he woke up and she was, you know, next to him. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I couldn't remember if like she just walked into the dining area there or if they showed. No, I think, yeah, I think they did. They, they showed her. Right. Yeah. No, she's very, she was an interesting character for me. I, I was happy. Uh, with her portrayal, was it Ayelet Zurer? Yes, I, I'm sure we're both butchering it, but yes, uh, right. And it, it's funny because in the comics, you know, they're married, they have a kid, 
Um, but they also have this contentious relationship where, you know, for a long time she didn't know he was the kingpin, and then when she finds out and the son gets involved, then things get kind of crazy. And she ultimately, you know, spoiler for the for you know what a ten year old story at this point, but uh, and I'm, I'm not sure if she's back currently or not, but she dies. She ends up dying in the comics, which kind of sets Wilson off, but. Uh, but it's 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 much more of like a traditional, almost like a, a traditional mob boss kind of relationship, you know, where the where, you know the he's the boss and the wife, you know, kind of doesn't really know what's going on, but you know is is gets all the spoils of of victory, so to speak. And right. so this is again just a different take where you know she she actually embraces the fact that he is who he is. So I'll be curious to see again what where they go with him in season two if they keep him in prison and just go at that angle with it or if you know if, if he ends up getting out to see what you know what goes on I, I almost I almost think it would be interesting to see him stay in prison and and or at least for a significant portion of the time and just kind of see how he orchestrates things from from that environment right there's a storyline that you know I'm pulling for. Yes. Um, I don't even know if we should say it. I guess it's a potential spoiler because it, it is a a story. Um, and now we have the Punisher as a player who would be involved in this story also. So maybe we'll leave it alone. But I hope he's in prison next season. <laughs> Agreed. So we could probably maybe hit Wesley a little bit here before we wrap up. Yeah, I I I, th- I think we can. I mean, I, Wesley. Well, let me first. There are two characters that I'm I'm really up, upset won't be coming back. One of them is Wesley, um, and the other one obviously is Ben Urich, which we'll we'll talk about in a future episode. I think we'll have a lot to say about poor Ben Urich, but um, I I really liked Wesley. Uh, I I felt like. He avoided the cliched sidekick, um, even in you know, because even Kingpin kind of had one in in the the Affleck Daredevil movie, and he kind of was like served the same purposes as you know main sidekick, but he almost came across as a caricature. Wesley is like pure devotion to Fisk, um, and you know it's funny because normally with these characters they always put some kind of quirk in the character like he has some kind of flaw you know whether it's women or drugs or um you know some sort of you know uh or men you know what whatever there's there's always some and not to say that's a flaw but but there's always something that pulls him away and distracts that character from his main purpose which is being the villain's right hand man um and Wesley didn't have that. Like Wesley was all about business. Wesley was all about protecting Wilson. You know, he didn't have anything that really pulled him away and take his eye off the ball. Like he was completely devoted to making sure that Wilson was protected. Even when uh even when Vanessa came in, I mean, they 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 hinted at a little bit of jealousy and a little bit of annoyance here and there, but overall he knew where his place was and he stayed, you know, he stayed strong throughout i mean we even saw with the wire you know where that wasn't necessarily the case where there was you know crosses and double crosses with characters that were very tight with each other 
Uh, and so th that to me made it interesting because I kept waiting for, I don't know about you, but I kept waiting for that other shoe to fall. It's like, oh, they're going to have, you know, he's going to go home and, you know, snort a bunch of cocaine or, oh, he's going to, you know, end up at a strip club and, you know, he, you know, get, you'd be totally distracted by, you know, by this, that, or the other. And that never happened. Yeah. I, I think for me, um, it was almost a role reversal, you know, usually, you you got at this a little bit. Maybe we're we're dancing around the same point. Usually the boss is the straight guy and his right hand enforcer guy is the nut. Right. Who, you know, will yep. beat the crap out of somebody when, when you need him to, but you like you said, you also have to keep him away from the coke or the booze or the women or <laughs> or whatever. And and here it's reversed. The the boss is the one that could go nuts and the right hand guy Wesley is the straight man making sure everything is perfect stays intact he's not going to let anybody set the boss off you know uh that type of thing so it was it was kind of like a fresh take um it's funny I, when you were talking I was thinking of Punisher Warzone where where Jigsaw <laughs> had a crazy brother <laughs> like yeah. as if you needed anybody crazier than Jigsaw in the in the movie, um, but same type of same type of deal. You know, the right hand guy, the number one crony, usually is the one who's nuts. But in this case, you know, it, it went the other way. Yeah, and he was and just Toby Leonard Moore. I thought was awesome. He's just snivelly yes. enough, and just like you, just want to punch him. But uh, like you said, totally devoted and, and like uh, a perfect guy to have under you if you were a crime boss. <laughs> yeah, and just like well manicured and he's always like he's always looking professional. You, you never catch him where he's like hanging out with a T-shirt and a you know pair of jeans or whatever. I mean, he's always in the suit. He's always, you know, just like perfectly, um, you know, it, you know, his his attire and his hygiene are just absolutely perfect. Um Stringer Bell. It, 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 yeah, I, I, there was a lot of. I took a lot of. Uh, I see a lot of parallels there because you know Avon, especially in the end, kind of went off the deep end a, a little bit and had to prove how street he was. And Stringer was all about let's stay on the ball. This is all about business. We need to you know get stuff done, um, even though he was kind of out of his league. But Wesley is fully in his league, and it, it's interesting too because we never got his backstory. Like we don't know what his deal was like where did wilson find him like where you know what you know what's the what's the deal with him and i i started thinking about it a lot in this episode and especially when he has that scene the final scene he's in when he's sitting across the table from karen and he asks her you know do do you love this city and they kind of have this exchange back and forth and she's like well i haven't been here long enough to know and he's like well you know you you pretty much know you do or you don't. And if you learn to love it, that just means you're forgetting all the stuff you hate. Um, and he talks about, you know, you can't get the filth off of you and all this other stuff. I almost kind of took it as he had an opposite upbringing in some ways that I think he had an opposite socioeconomic background than, than Wilson did, meaning he probably grew up with money and status, but, either had a chip on his shoulder or something to prove or whatever, because he seems very high class and very, um, uh, you know, very proper or whatever, and very looks down on people that he feels are less than him or lower than him. Um, 
but it, but this at this at the same time feels like he he has something to prove. So he's just like a really interesting interesting character, and I think maybe not knowing much about his background uh, kind of even makes it more interesting because it's kind of left up to you to determine like what's this guy's deal. Um, right. That's a little bit heavier than I thought I was going to get, but no, yeah, I, I get it. He definitely that that conversation um, with Karen was huge, um, and it is his final scene which uh was shocking to me i mean that was uh one of the high points of the whole series for me yeah i didn't i didn't see that coming i really thought that he was gonna make it through and and you know when he puts that gun on the table and it's funny because he completely and i think a lot of it is just he completely underestimated karen i think he judged her by you know things he knew about her past and you know maybe you know the fact that she um you know had a menial job for a long time and she was you know kind of hanging out with these lawyers that are just barely scraping by or whatnot and completely misjudged her and then when she, when she picks up that gun and says what makes you think you're the only person i've ever shot i was like whoa yeah and then he tries to you know fool her with saying well you know i wouldn't really put a loaded gun on the table and you know sure enough he did but but you know again it was like i i guess his one flaw was he was he was too protective you know he went off on his own to kind of take care of this problem and and ultimately it it, uh, it it got him killed, but I mean the interesting thing is this is this means more for Karen. Like it, I, I think one of the positives of his death was it added a, 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 this dimension to Karen because a it kind of brought out the fact that there's more to her that we don't know about, um, and two she's got something hanging over her head that that's going to carry into into next season. You know, not only the fact that she she shot Wesley, um, but the fact that she basically got Ben killed. So. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'll, I'll be sad to see him go because he just like you know just from the from the get go, uh, you know just really kind of made an impression as as just a well designed, well acted character. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, and Toby Leonard Moore uh, also em- embraced being a part of the MCU. He was a regular on Twitter and engaging the fans. And yeah. Stuff like that, which is always cool. Yeah, absolutely. So that was a nice full uh, discussion. I can't think. I don't. I'm not the one with the notes, but I can't think of anything else for Kingpin and Vanessa. Yeah, no, that was pretty much all I had. You know, in my notes was you know everything we talked about, and then and then some actually. So, like I said, I think it was just a. Uh, you know, again, strong performances all the way around. You know like we we talked about maybe not not exactly the you know if if we sat down and wrote a daredevil script you know probably not how we'd portray the kingpin but but again with what they what they did i think they they did a good job so yeah i'm hoping it's just chapter 1 yeah 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 you know it's sounding uh a little crowded for next season if you if we take that electra rumor which I don't really think it was a rumor. The video was online for a period of time. Yeah, and I mean, he flat out, you know, Matt says in that episode, you know, Murdoch versus Nelson that, you know, oh, what about that Greek girl that you, you know, yeah, you met, you know, so it's, it, it's, yeah, I, I think that's pretty much a done deal at this point. So you have Electra. It sounds like you have Bullseye, being that rumors are coming out about Jason Statham in talks for the role. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, the Punisher is confirmed 
So it's starting to get a little crowded. I don't think D'Onofrio has been confirmed, or did he sign a multi-season thing? I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know. Um, I, I mean, it could easily be something where we get a last episode or to look at the Kingpin in jail. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it could be, he could pretty much take a season off, let them run all this other stuff. And now we're back to Kingpin. If a season three happens, I mean, it could go that way. Sure. Who knows? Yeah. And I, I think I kind of see the Electra episode or maybe it may be multiple episodes for all I know, but kind of almost like the stick episode where we get this, you know, current storyline that's running and then all these flashbacks as to like you know she comes back into his life for whatever reason and then we get the flashbacks uh as to you know what what her deal is and so i you know i think they could you know that that may not take up as much as much time as as we we might think right um i could see the punisher being a longer arc like i don't see him just coming in for an episode uh i i, I see him coming in and and being a player for for a bigger part of episode two or season two. Very good. Yeah. So what do we have? We have two weeks. No, more than that. How long do we have till Ant-Man? A month. We got a month. Yeah. We have exactly one, two, three, four, five weeks, uh, until Ant-Man. So I would think we'd be able to sneak, hopefully, you know, conservatively two more of these in at least before Ant-Man. Yeah, I think I think that's that's doable. Like I said, next week. Well, this as this episode posts, it'll be the week I'm actually going to be out on vacation. So uh, so there there won't be any, you know, so maybe um, the following week we'll we'll have we'll put an episode out because, um, yeah, I'm really anxious to talk about uh, about Ben Urich uh, for sure. And uh and then you know maybe a little deeper dive on Karen and Foggy and some of the others, but but I really want to talk about to uh, Ben Yurick. Sounds good. Yeah, and then uh, like I said, uh, heading over to MCU Exchange, which has links to all the feeds. So if you want to get the 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 MCU minute uh, that we're putting out, you'll definitely need to subscribe to that specific feed and not the uh, not the master feed if that's how you're getting this show. Um, and when we say master feed, we mean the HHWLOD.com yes. master feed, just so the people that are only getting the – it's awfully complicated, isn't it? Why did we make it so complicated? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you'll find it if you're looking for it. That's right. All right, so we'll see you maybe in a week or two with some more Daredevil talk. And if any cool news or Spider-Man is cast or anything like that, I'm sure we'll be back even sooner. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Good night. Take care.